Welcome to Away From The Keyboard. We give you a glimpse into the lives, interests, and tech behind today's technologists. Please join our hosts, Cecil Phillip and Richie Rump, as we get away from the keyboard. Welcome to Away From The Keyboard, where technologists tell their stories of how they started, how they grew, how they learned, and how they unwind. My name is Richie Rump, and joining me is my co-host, Cecil Phillip. How are you doing today, Cecil? Dude, you would not believe the day I have just had. How bad could it be? You're going to Barbados tomorrow. Dude, so long story short, I've had FPL outside of my house for the past uh, four hours. You know, redoing the cabling because when AT&T was here a few, few months ago, setting up the fiber optics in the community, they happened to have pretty much nicked a fair amount of the underground electrical cabling. So that means that, like, little by little, everybody in the block has just been losing power. And today just happens to be my turn, so yay. <laughs> Luckily, Jeez. the power came back on late enough that I could get on and record this episode. But, dude, that's, that wasn't fun. Yeah, it's never fun to be out of basic utilities. That's crazy, man. Sorry about that. Yeah, especially when I'm trying to pack. <laughs> and you know what else uh, happened horribly this weekend? No, tell me what happened. Wanna cry? Oh, I heard about that. I heard yeah. about that. Yeah. So if if you didn't hear and you've been living under a rock, Wanna Cry is uh, malware that it's been affecting XP, um, Windows Seven, Windows Eight, and essentially it's ransomware. So you you get this malware, and a red box will come up, essentially saying that I'm sorry, I've encrypted your hard drive, and if you, unless you give me three hundred dollars, well, you're not going to get your data. Um, or even access to your computer. So this just goes to show you that you need to be patching your machines and don't turn off Windows Update and you need to be on the latest version of Windows because Windows 10, not affected. Yep. So the moral of the story is if you don't patch your machines, your computer will get held for ransom by hackers for $300. <laughs> That's right. Yep. That's right. I think there's a lot of interesting things to the story. Um, we're just not going to get into it right here. Uh, if you want to get in, in deeper what WannaCry is and what it did, Troy Hunt's been all over this thing. So uh, go check out Troy Hunt and um, his coverage of WannaCry. Nice. And we also have um, our newsletter, right? We have some, some, some news about the newsletter. Yeah, we're trying to get the newsletter back up and running. So as a part of, we're, we're going to try to do it once a month. Right, and kind of give you the highlights of what we're talking about and what we're going to be talking about and kind of host or a guest that we're going to have on the show. But one of the things about the newsletter is that we were giving the subscribers extra episodes. And so part of those extra episodes, uh, we talked about um, our favorite podcasts. We talked about our favorite apps. Well, this time we're going to talk about our favorite movies. And there's a lot of really interesting things in our lists. You know what I think we should do next? What's that? We should do, because me and you are, are pretty, you know, into music. I think the yep. next one we do should be, we should start from the 80s and do favorite songs from the 80s and then work our way up. Oh, boy. I, I, I think do. we should just do like favorite bands or favorite albums. That would be good. Uh, that would take forever, dude. We'd never, that'll be like a six part <laughs> episode. <laughs> but this one would be was pretty cool. Um, Hamilton would be on the list. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, you listen to that like every day, dude. Because the kids want, the kids want it. That's a good excuse. I'd use Cameron as an excuse too. <laughs> so who are we talking to today? So today we're having our second conversation with Casey Champion. Casey's a firm believer that talent is universal, but opportunity is not. She's dedicated to bringing technical education and the economic empowerment it provides to all students. A software engineer turned teacher, Casey graduated from the University of Washington with a degree in electrical engineering. After graduation, she joined Microsoft as a software engineer. But every morning before work for the last three years, she's been a computer science teacher at a local area high school with the TEALS program. Her current passions include employment courses for community college students, increasing interest in tech for girls and students of color, empowering women in Afghanistan to rebuild their communities, and helping kids in refugee camps fill the gaps in their education. Yeah, wow. She's awesome. Um... I think the last episode we had uh, was one of my favorite episodes of all time really? <laughs> for the show. Of all time. You know, we've been doing the show for two years, right? That's a, that says a lot about Casey. I know. I know. And, um, and, this ep and this conversation is no different. It's a lot of fun. 
and uh, super interesting. I mean, how do you go from teaching high school in the morning and then go work for Microsoft, you know, later in the day? That's that's pretty awesome. You know, she has like a Wonder Woman symbol, like, you know, tattooed on her arm. That's how she does <laughs> maybe, it. Maybe two. Maybe two. <laughs> exactly. This episode was recorded on March 28th, 2017. And now, part two of our conversation with Casey Champion. And now, away from the keyboards feature conversation. So, so Tracy, I want to talk a little bit about your life after college. Right? Okay. So, you know, you, you graduated and, and I believe you were one of the first people in your family that graduated from college, right? Uh, yeah, I am the first one. My parents are very sweet people, but they, t- well, at least they tell me they graduated high school. It's suspect. So, um, <laughs> there's no paperwork, but we have, there's no, them. yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. They're both from like, well, they're both from Vancouver Island, which, uh, is part of Canada, but is physically closer to Seattle than any then possible i mean it's literally an island that like sticks off of the side of seattle almost they'll probably sorry vancouver island you probably hate being described that way but it's true um (laughs) so they're both from like logging towns in this tiny little island uh so yeah so i graduated from the university of washington in 2012 and i had done a bunch of different internships a couple of which were much more electrical engineering focused because i was convinced i was gonna you know build embedded systems and do engineers without borders. And then I realized, oh my gosh, software will pay me twice that. Um, (laughs) And Microsoft is crazy nice to me. And so I ended up joining Microsoft full time after taking my little tour. And I've been here uh, coming up on five years in the fall. Nice. And when you joined Microsoft, what, um, I know you, you get to pick the teams that you go on, right? Or were they doing that back then or not really? So it's it's because it's such a big company, it's kind of complicated. You sort of like they I came as an intern and they just sort of randomly assign you as an intern. But once you're in the door, you do this thing called shopping, which is like, go find the team you want to be a part of. And so I just, you know, interviewed a bunch of teams and I originally joined a team called Office Engineering that did the daily build for Office. And they Mm -hmm. sold me because they were like, we are the largest software project that builds as one cohesive unit. And the process of building Office is absolutely fascinating, like the merge conflicts and how you compile all that code together. And then you have to send it off to Puerto Rico for reasons that I don't fully understand because tax something and then it comes back. And then um, you've got to roll it back because that idiot checked in his code and somehow it got past his all of his failing tests and it still happened. And then, you know, 4000 developers are impacted. So it was just sort of this like scale that was really fascinating as a 22 year old or whatever. I hope when you say Puerto Rico, you're talking about some fictitious server name that exists somewhere, right? Like, and not the actual country Puerto Rico. No, I mean the I mean the actual, the island. I, I mean, yeah, wow. yeah. So it gets awesome. sent there. I'm pretty sure. For, yeah, I'm pretty sure for tax reasons, right? Sure, that's wow. a thing. That's that. That's a thing that people say. I don't know. I'm not sure. businessy, clearly. <laughs> wow, that's um. crazy. Yeah, and every now and then somebody got to go to Puerto Rico to like check out our facilities there. Yeah. I never yeah. got to go, but they did send me to we have a lot of development offices in Europe. So I I remember with that job I got to travel a lot, which was really exciting because I got to go meet like developers in Ireland and in Malaga and in Norway, which was really exciting. Oh, that's very cool. So you got to do a lot of traveling and, you know, got to explore some interesting countries. Yeah, it was well, because my role initially was to encourage office developers to add unit tests to their code, because that was a brand new thing for the code base that was office when I first joined. And um, when I was in university, so like, to, I guess, bring it back all around. The edu- education has always obviously been very something that's really impacted my life. It's something that I'm really passionate about. And when I was in university, you know, struggling as a first-generation student, I did a lot of mentoring and I did a lot of giving back. And that led me ultimately being a TA, which meant I got very accustomed to teaching classes. So when I joined Microsoft, they were like, oh, well, nobody in Microsoft know- or within Office knows how to unit test. Can you teach them? Which was what a ridiculous thing to ask of a 22-year-old to go to like the Word team that's been working together and writing the same code base for the last 30 years and be like, hey, I'm here to teach you something new. So th- all I can d- be is incredibly grateful that 
they were such like warm opening people that were willing to give this silly this silly silly recent college grad the time of day but that that meant that I got to fly you know to our development offices in Dublin and in Oslo to you know teach unit testing and ultimately wow. I barely knew what I was talking about but you know it was great I was gonna say that doesn't sound intimidating at all right? Piece <laughs> yeah, of cake, right? <laughs> <laughs> well I hear it's gonna catch on one of these days <laughs> yeah, yeah. This, this testing thing might uh might actually lead to something you just described my day today by the way <laughs> oh really <laughs> yeah it's almost as if how would you possibly build one of the most used software products in the entire world for the last 30 years without testing oh but that's what happened so right that's funny yeah a billion so, people use office but there weren't any tests until i don't know four years until ago you showed up <laughs> yeah yeah it's all me i'm gonna claim that they're not going to listen to this. I Everybody, that's all my work. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. So Casey, you, you talked about when you were in college that you were a TA, right? And mm-hmm. also you went to Microsoft and you were teaching some of the already existing teams that were there. So so obviously this whole teaching and education thing is, is something that's been very, you know, it's kind of like a part of you. It kind of is what it feels like, right? Yeah, it's sort of my jam, if you will, I guess. <laughs> right. And I know you're also part of this program called Teals, right? Like, Could you talk to us about the Teals program a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So when um, eventually I, I moved on from being a PM to being a developer, and uh, I, I developed for Outlook Web App for a while. And during that, I was so far away from education that I was sort of yearning for it. And I went looking for how I can give back and how I can, you know, get back into teaching. And I found this program that was started at Microsoft. It's called TEALS. It's one of those fakey acronyms. It's like technical education and literacy in schools or something. I don't know. They started with the word first, right? But essentially what it does is it takes software engineering professionals and places them in high school classrooms to co-teach with an in-room teacher. And so really what it's trying to do is when you look at the landscape of high school computer science, the biggest problem isn't that kids want to take computer science because lots of kids want to take computer science now. It's the new hotness. The problem is there's really no one to teach them because frankly, if you have the skills to be a computer scientist, you're going to have to get turned down a lot of offers to take that teaching job, right? And You're so, making bank is what you're saying. Yeah, it's really tough to take that $37,000 a year teaching job when, you know, Google, Facebook and Amazon are all fighting over who can pay you more, right? We're all human. So uh, Teals' approach is like, well, why don't we take people that are already teachers? We know they're already passionate. They're already great at classroom management. And we just help train them to be computer science teachers. And the way that we can do that is we will give them a bunch of volunteers. And so essentially what my specific role is within the Teals volunteer program is I go into a school and I teach the course and sort of the teacher acts initially as one of the students and then eventually the teacher kind of becomes my TA and then eventually the teacher teaches and I'm their TA and like I kind of slowly roll off. And so the idea is that in a couple years, the teacher goes from essentially having no computer science background to being fully capable of running, you know, an AP level computer science class. Huh, that's an interesting idea. You know, it kind of reminds me of code.org thing, right? And we do work very closely with code.org. So it's it's all sort of one happy family. CS Education is a fairly small community, so. And on the show, we've spoken to a lot of students and we've also spoken about education from the learner side. We've never actually spoken about it from the educator side, right? And I think, you know, I'm glad you're on because we could kind of have that conversation since you actually do teach, you teach um, high school kids, but you also teach college courses too, no? So I, and when I was in university, I taught for eight quarters. Um, I taught introductory programming courses and I eventually was essentially the head TA for those courses. And then, yeah, now I'm teaching high school. And then um, uh, my role at Microsoft is to be an online teacher. And then I also teach um, younger students as well. So kind of like what you were saying earlier, I mean, there's tons of people that are interested in learning computer science from younger kids to, you know, older folks that might want to have a change in career or something like that. Absolutely. Um, Like, so with with all of these students and all these people that you know that have all this passion and this desire, like what do you think are some of the major concerns from the educator's perspective in terms of just kind of keeping current and making sure that they they give them the right information to keep them you know keep them engaged? I, I think specifically from like a public teacher standpoint, you know, like a public high school or middle school teacher, it's a very, very different way to teach because there is absolutely no way for you as a teacher to A, know everything um, or B, even keep up truly. I mean, you need to, you need to read all the news stories. You need to make sure you're up to date on like, what are the new updates to your language and what are people doing with it and what are new languages coming out? But ultimately you need to let go 
of the idea that you are going to know more than your students. And really think about computer science not like a traditional subject in that I, as the teacher, have knowledge and you as the pupil are going to learn that knowledge from me, but rather I, as the teacher, know how to think and we're going through this journey together. And part of knowing how to think about computer science is knowing how to look things up and knowing how to communicate about them. And so I teach I teach AP computer science and even, let's see, what happened today? So today uh, we were doing recursive tracing and my in-room teacher, I had like an example recursion tracing problem, really simple. It was like, what was it? It was like base case if n equals one return two, otherwise recursive case two times recursion of n minus one, something really simple. And then my, you know, in-room teacher was like, oh, what happens if you add a second recursive case? How many times is this going to run? And it took us as the whole, like, class drawing all the stacks and drawing all the trees and, like, eventually typing it out. But it, it went from being a lecture to being a conversation and one where actively, like, I was like, oh, crap, I, <laughs> like, we got to talk about some real permutation stuff. You know, like, I don't know, actively know the answer to this. And being comfortable in that space is super foreign to most teachers, right? you know? Like I like Sal Khan of the Khan Academy always says that his most popular videos are when he would make a mistake and leave it in the video. And I think that that is such a just like core shakingly terrifying thing for most teachers. But I do that all the time. I in fact, I, I've gotten to the point where I try to not prep exam questions. Like if I'm going to do AP prep exam for the kids, like I want to see the question and then I want to watch them with them to watch me walk through it for the first time and help me as I go. And that is such a very different way to teach. And I think people just appreciate you just being real with them. Oh, yeah. Especially high schoolers. <laughs> no, of course. Because, you know, as you make mistakes, they'll see, hey, well, I'm going to make mistakes too, right? And it's it's not always this this perfect model that I'm always, you know, striving to, to be at. Like, I'm, it's okay for me to make mistakes. And you kind of show them that, you know, you kind of just keep working through it and you keep asking mm -hmm. questions. And eventually, like, you'll get to where you need to be, even though you might miss the whole class. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, and as a developer, that's really how it works, right? Like, I don't sit down to code something I already know how to code. That's silly, right? Like, I sit down and I talk to my colleagues and I use Stack Overflow and I try things and test it and I try other things and I test it. And it's that iteration and you're right, you're like constant asking of questions that is truly how software gets built. You know, and that's really, well, it's scary for students too. You know, they're used to like, there is one right answer. There's one right path through this math problem. You know, you just got to remember what that path is. And that's just not the case with software. Sounds like you're young, scrappy and hungry. <laughs> I'm only 19, but my mind is older. <laughs> nice. These New York City streets get colder. I shoulder. Wow. Every burden, I every love it. I love it. I love it. Learn to manage. I love it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so, so actually, I have a lot of um, technical friends that are, are very interested in teaching now. Great. And, and obviously, not teaching for the money, but teaching because they they generally love what they do, and they want to you know they want to be involved in the process, right? And they want to help, kind of help, just you know contribute to the community, so to speak. As as somebody that made that transition, like, what are some of the things that you needed to do? Well, I guess you already had experience, I suppose, from from teaching in college already. But again, let's just say I'm. I'm a developer. I was never a TA. I never had experience teaching other people. But I really want to get involved and I really want to help and I really want to be a part of the educational process. But, you know, I don't know anything about building courseware or structuring objectives or, you know, creating sample exercises. But I, I do care right? and I do want to be a mm -hmm. part of it. Like what are, what are some of the things that I could do to get involved? I, I believe that especially as software developers, you know, we have that sort of just go do it mentality. And that's truly what it is. And yeah. I think that that seems intimidating from the outside because the educational industry is really old school compared to the tech industry. But if you are interested and you want to get involved, honestly, go volunteer. One, check out Teals, tealsk12.org. Chances are we have a school in your area that you could teach, or we can patch you into a school. You can actually remote teach via Skype, which is great. So you don't even have to like get dressed in the morning, I guess. <laughs> Very um, cool. 
yeah, I ride the bus for an hour to my school, but you could do that, which is, I'm sure, much more preferable. And you can also go to code.org and you can do a lot of things. You can either volunteer to um, spend a day in a school. You can add hints to their different projects. Khan Academy has an open source project they're always looking for help with. There's just all these things. Um, Code for America is specifically trying to organize, you know, civic minded coders and how they can help produce products that are going to, you know, make someone's life easier. But really, like, kind of just get out there and offer your services. Um, Nonprofits especially are desperately in need for, you know, coders. And so if you sort of get in, you know, get around educational institutions, go to your local school. Literally literally the other day, my in-room teacher told me, because we have, with me and then my team, we have six different Microsoft full-time employees that come and volunteer at my school, either every day or every other day. And then my teacher told me, he was like, oh, like somebody just showed up at our office, like our school office and was like, hey, I'm a software engineer and I, I want to help. And the school was like, great. We have a computer science class, so he's going to join us. And he didn't even know that Teals existed. He literally just walked in the door. And I think that people can be intimidated by that. But yeah, schools need all the help they can get. Trust me, somebody's going to take you up on the offer. So I say volunteer for sure. You know, reach out to communities. Um, I, of course, am a big fan of online learning because I write courses for edX. And a lot of times I see people start to get that experience through helping online students. There's a lot of students that ask questions, you know, in the thousands, right? Like, how do you get online and help articulate things? And how do you start that sort of relationship? You know, you can do that from the comfort of your own home. So there's a there's a lot, I guess, you know, code.org is a great place to start. Teals is a great place to start. Code for America is excellent. I know you obviously, you know, you make tons of courses, you know, and you've, you've been involved in the process a little bit. Like, what are the steps that you kind of follow when you're creating a course or, you know, just starting to make a plan for, you know, this is what we want to accomplish? First, number one, and the most often skipped thing, go out there and look and see if the thing you want to teach already exists. I can't even tell you how many millions of conversations I've had where somebody's like, oh, I just wrote a brand new intro to computer science course. Isn't it great? And I'm like, yeah, so are the millions of others. Like, they're all available and for free. And I love that you have that energy. But I really wish that engineers can put that, like, I have to build it from scratch feeling away and kind of go out there and see how can I help. I would love that. So when I'm thinking about a course, I my first thought is, hey, is the thing I'm trying to get across, is somebody out there already doing it? And can I either help them do it? Or should I spend my time elsewhere? And so that's like the first things first is sort of that market research. Then I think you got to make sure that you can put yourself back in the shoes of the student. It's so hard as like a professional to remember what it was like to be a newbie. That's just so difficult. And so if you can find a friend or you can go online and like watch other people experience, you know, intro courses, like get yourself in that mindset because man, like, because I invite a lot of software engineering professionals into my classroom to talk about their things. And I feel like half of the time I'm spending like, oh, can you define that word? Oh, sorry, that was an acronym. Can you go over that? Oh, like, here's an analogy to like help people better understand that because you just you get so used to talking to only engineers. Yeah. But then once you do that, um, I'm, I'm a pretty traditional instructional designer. You know, I start with Bloom's taxonomy. Like, where is this on the level? Is it an intro, you know, knowledge based thing? Or is this something that's going to be project based? It's going to be synthesis. And then I work my way through to to student learning objectives. Like, what am I really helping that my students get out of this? And that to me is usually a project. And then from there, you know, I really try to make sure that I'm setting the context, giving them experience, and then synthesizing that all as a project. See, now, you know, you should teach a class about teaching classes. I think that'll be interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's so meta. I I don't know if I'm qualified. but <laughs> I Well, you're the one that said just do it, right? Like, I mean, True. I think... I think a lot of people would benefit from from that, right? I think if we talk about that more, I think more people would kind of get the not the balls, but you know, people more people would be more willing to kind of jump into it. Yeah, it's a good point. Because it's like we need we need the example, right? Somebody has to set the example, and I think you're doing a fantastic job doing it. Oh, thanks. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I have to admit, I sort of have a, like, because this is my third year teaching high school now, but I guess if you count from when I started teaching, like, when I started conducting my own classroom in college, it's probably been, like, eight to yeah. ten years that I've been teaching, and mm-hmm. I still have a chip on my shoulder because I always, quote, feel like I'm not a real teacher because I didn't get a master's in education. Like, I don't, you know, I don't have my teaching certificate, and it sort of took me a long time to feel like I was not the imposter in that situation. But that drive made me want to go research things like instructional design. Like, how do we really research like educational philosophies? And yeah. 
You know, like, like, look at the Khan Academy. He literally just made YouTube videos to help his cousin and that other people started watching them. And now it is enormous, right? Like, it's, you're right. I think it's, we got to sort of demystify these things because everyone just started somewhere. I think that that raises an interesting question, right? What makes a good teacher? Hmm. Because like you said, like you've, you've never been formally educated as a, as a, as an educational professional. Right. And neither have I and I'm sure neither have tons of people. But, you know, you're still able to have a very positive impact sharing your knowledge and and championing, no pun intended, championing <laughs> information for for tons of people. And I'm I'm sure your your students probably love you for it. Right. So I don't know. You'll have to ask them. I'm very enthusiastic at 730 in the morning. We should get one so. of your we should oh, get one geez. of your students on and be like, so Miss uh, Miss Champion, huh? like how is how is she doing? The dangerous thing is they'd probably take you up on that offer and they're all so sassy. I don't know how to handle it. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. Gosh, we might have to do that. Though. Yeah, they're so funny. They'd be so yeah. Well, because I I teach edX courses, and so every now and then, like, I'll in a video, I'll like mention a conversation that I had with one of my students, and then I'll show them the video, and they think it's just the coolest thing. Which that's awesome. It's just so funny. Um, yeah. What makes a good teacher? I you know I I feel like I should have a really well formed answer to that, and I, I know that for me going into the classroom, I had some very specific goals around who I was going to be as a influence on those students, but I never really thought about them as goals as a teacher. And for me, it was mostly like one, I wanted my students to know that they had a party that was invested in their success, truly, you know? And to me, that means somebody that has simultaneously high expectations, but a lot of patience. And that's sort of my my style of teaching. I, I do not accept that certain things are beyond students. I do not accept that there are certain things that a class of student can't handle. I... You know, I've been told many times that I need to stop teaching, you know, object-oriented programming and teach block-based drag-and-drop crap. And I, I will not do that at the high school level because I know my kids can do more. But if you're going to do that, you've got to have the patience and the true investment in your students' futures to suffer through because it's going to be tough on them. And you got to be that person there. And I just I know that as a high schooler, how impactful it would have been on me to have like an external adult show up and be like, hey, you can do this and it's going to be hard and I'm not going to quit. Like, I believe in you, you know. And so I think that's sort of where I come from personally. And I think that's also how I took it in college, because in college, I was I was struggling. I was working a lot. And I, you know, this all these things mattered to me, but it was hard to keep my GPA up across all my jobs. And the idea that somebody was really like, hey, you can do this and I'm not going to give up, that would have been so impactful. And that's always how I've sort of approached my classes. Probably not the most structured. <laughs> I'm not a very structured teacher. I'm sure all the masters in educations people would be really offended by my context and student objectives, but whatever. <laughs> Be real. I think that's more important. <laughs> so did you ever go to a student and say, dying is easy, young man? Living is harder? Living is harder. <laughs> Governing is harder. <laughs> um, <laughs> I have. Well, you know what's funny is I had, so do, if you guys aren't aware, it's college acceptance season for high schoolers. I had a really interesting conversation with my students the other day because I I personally put almost zero value on the name brand of your school, which some people do not appreciate that point of view, especially if you put a lot of investment into that. And I have, you know, these students that are literally like living and dying by which acceptance letter is going to come in that mailbox. And I was just sort of like, you know what? Honestly, I hope you don't get into Stanford. I know that's like a really awful thing for an adult to tell you, but you're a hardworking, down-to-earth kid. And I think that you have a school that in your heart of hearts you know is right for you. And you would pick that school because you think it's the right thing to do. Please don't Not do because that. of the fancy name that's on it. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I, I think that that is hard. That's hard to do. Like, I think it's it's easy to just push yourself to get like the best grades and just to go to the best college. And it's much harder to think about who you are and what your goals are and what is the best way to get there. Man, I just I hear that. And it's like, well, how much student debt are you going to have when you walk out of college? Right. Depending on the, the bigger name that you, you go to. Oh, yeah. 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 And <laughs> I won't even get into, you know, the role of counselors in this whole thing, but I have a very clear memory of sitting in my high school counselor's office and talking about the schools that I was accepted into, one of which was NYU. And, you know, him saying something like, well, don't worry about the money. That's something that like your parents can figure out. And I was like, oh, you serious? 
whoa. Yeah, I was like, whoa, bitch. Like, one, <laughs> you don't know our family. Like, two, I would never, who's going to pay 60 grand a year to go, you know, like, get a theater degree and then eat beans out of a can? Like, no, I'm not doing that. It was just one of those things where I think that people are so blinded by this idea that you have to go to the fancy school. And, you know, for example, I'm a huge fan of community college. Um, I'm paying for my sister's schooling. And, you know, in high school, she was, you know, struggling because she was working and doing these things. And we decided very early on, like, you're not going to a four year university. You're going to a community college first, because it is going to save us a crap ton of money and you're going to get a great experience and then you're going to transfer to your four-year university once you're a little bit older and you know what you want to do and actually it is march 28th today was her very first day at western washington university wow that's yeah. awesome just a weird coincidence yeah Th- that's what i did oh, so by proud the way. Of her. I, I i did community college first and then i went to the university of miami because you're brilliant yeah that's the way well, to do well, it actually no we had a, a little storm called um uh, andrew <laughs> Drop by. Oh, and, I feel um, like I've heard of that. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, my, my parents didn't knew I was a C student at best and didn't want to, you know, spend a bunch of money. And so they kind of talked me and going to a community college. I'm like, okay. And then Andrew came and just kind of wiped out my house and the whole area <laughs> that I lived in. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And um, so it, it kind of worked out that I was home and not kind of away at the University of Florida, you know, half drunk in a ditch somewhere <laughs> saying, I mm. don't think my parents have a house anymore. Yeah, probably priorities came into real sharp focus, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah pretty much. No. Yeah, my, my very best friend, I met her at the University of Washington, but she she had been valedictorian of her high school, like number one student, just absolutely brilliant. And her parents, who are possibly my favorite parents, sorry, mom and dad, but her parents are my favorite parents on the face of the planet. And they were like, we are immigrants. We are not paying for you to go to some four-year university to take like weeder classes when you can go to our local community college, live at home and take the same exact classes for a third the price. And so I remember, you know, she talks a lot about the stigma of when, you know, everybody was talking about, oh, I'm going to this big fancy school, I'm going to this and that. And she was like, I'm going to my local community college and how people, you know, adults would be like, you're throwing your opportunity away. And I was like, gosh, what kind of weird ass baggage is that to like tell a 16, 17 year old that they're throwing away their life for going to community college? Like everybody needs to just take a step back. And I had one of my one of my favorite students, I also teach a summer camp for low income first generation students of color. And she had gotten into the University of Washington, but wanted to turn it down to go to our local community college. And I guess her mom was just beside herself was like, no, why would you do that? And a big part of it for her was like, no, I, I know that I will be successful at the community college. I know they'll give me time to explore what I want to do. And it means that I can be at home and not worried about my student life. And I was like, yeah, man, that's what I would do. And she was like, that is the first time an adult has told me that that's not a terrible idea. I was just like, gosh, we need to cut we need to cut our students some slack and help them like pick a path that's right for them, not just shove right. them into, you know, go for whatever biggest brand name fits or whatever. Immigrants, they get the job done. Get they get d- damn it if those immigrants don't get the job done. <laughs> <laughs> so so speaking about, you know, the name of the college and you know, where you get your education from. I know a lot of people that approach me, you know, even ask me, hey, should I even bother to go to college? Particularly when it comes to computer science education, you know, why can't I just go to a, a boot camp or boot camp or, online? you know, workshop or, you know, online, online certificate or something like that? Mm-hmm. It's a hard question to answer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for many reasons. You know, one, because I think, you know, everybody works and learns very differently. You know, everybody's objectives are very different. So it's oh. kind of hard to, it's kind of hard to say, well, you, you, sir, you need to do this. And this is the only way to do it. And and that's what it is, right? Right. Well, it's a really personal question, right? Like, that's, you're right. It's totally based on them and their goals and who they are. Yeah, it, tol- it totally is. And um, so so for you, because I'm, I'm sure you've been asked the same questions. I was kind of wondering yeah. what were your thoughts on it? I have to. So I talk about this a lot, especially, like I said, with my high schoolers. And to me, the the thing that is most important to hear is there is no one way to do it. You know, like going to get the four-year degree at the fancy college is not the only way to get the big fancy job. And to me, the magic, the incredible thing that our industry is, is that we are based on your skill set. Now, as an employer, because I do a lot of recruiting for Microsoft, 
we're going to play the numbers game. We're going to physically go to schools like Carnegie Mellon and MIT and Harvey Mudd and, you know, Caltech, because we know there's going to be a density of talent that's going to make our lives easier to hire. But that doesn't mean that if the right person put the right thing on GitHub and put it in the right email inbox, they wouldn't come through the same interview loop and get the same starting salary as that kid who has a, frankly, has two degrees in engineering from Caltech. And I think it just has to come down to who you are as a person, whether, like, frankly, how much of a hustler are you? Are you not that much of a hustler? Okay, then you better go to some fancy school where opportunity is just going to fall in your lap. But if you have that fire inside of you and you have that ability to to self-teach and to self-promote and to go out of your way and to make sure that you are pounding the pavement, well, I will tell you what, and I people hate it when I say this, I would hire that person over a a fancy college graduate any day. I would rather hire someone that is self-taught and motivated and passionate and whipped their app out in front of me at a job fair and showed me how cool it was than some kid that was like, I have a really academic experience from Carnegie Mellon. Right, because at the end of the day, when you're hiring somebody to do work, well, you, you want to know that they can do work, right? Yeah. Like, you know, you coming and showing me the papers you wrote and, I don't know, the algorithms that you could talk about doesn't actually prove to me that you could work in a team or you could execute on some deliverable or whatever the case is. Yeah. Um, to that being the case, that being said, too, I mean, there's tons of opportunities if you're in college to do that, right? Like there's internships, there's research mm-hmm. programs and, mm-hmm. and other ways that you could get that, too. So so not to make it sound like, hey, this can't happen in formalized education oh no, absolutely not you're right there's tons of ways right it's it's just about you as the learner trying to figure out like well, well what are my goals exactly mm-hmm. and and based on what my your goals happen to be you know you kind of pick and choose the strategy that you're going to take to get where you need to be at the end of the day exactly so again everybody everybody's not going to get a scholarship and everybody can't pay to go to <coughs> university of miami um <laughs> but <laughs> yeah you know it helps when your mom works there by the way well, mm. you know, but um, at the end of the day, you could go to UM or UF or Caltech or whatever, and, and I could also go to DeVry or I could, you know, pick up a book and yep. uh, we could all become just as intelligent, yep. right? It's, it's, it's really just about, like, kind of like what you were saying earlier, right? Like, how hungry are you, right? And how much do you want this? Is this something you really want to do? Because if it's not, then you're probably not going to put in the effort to make yeah. it happen for you. Yeah, I, I have to. I won't drop names, but there are some very specific Ivy League schools where we actually we still go because there's smart kids there, but they can't pass our interviews, time and again because they get to like the culture fit part, and the culture fits just wrong. I know when I was a, a hiring manager, I rarely took a look at where somebody went to school and said, "Oh yeah, that's the person for us." Right. Yeah, I always went in there and asked, okay, what books were you reading? What blogs are you reading? What mm-hmm. kind of open source stuff have you been doing? Um, where's your passion level? That's kind of what I really yeah. wanted. Because I could teach you kind of do how we do things here, but I can't teach you to love what you do, right? And if you love right. what you do, it's a, just it's a lot easier. All the other stuff kind of just falls in line. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So Casey, you also mentioned that you teach edX courses, right? You create yeah. courses for edX online. So how did you get into that exactly? So that is officially my day job. Um, oh. I Yeah. So I am a member of what's called Microsoft Learning. And our goal is to provide free, high quality technical education to students all over the world. And so we do so it's simply because, one, there's not enough engineers in the world that we can hire, that anyone can hire. Two, because we have technical tools that we hope people are delighted by and we hope that you use them as a way to build things you're passionate about and we want to make that as easy as possible for you. And like three, frankly, the pipeline for computer science talent is very narrow in the type of people that it is being successful for. And how do we create technical education that is more inclusive. And right now that's, you know, like MOOCs, you know, massive open online courseware, like, and so via edX. And so what are some of the the courses that you put out? Are they particularly aimed at, you know, people coming in at a certain level? Is it, you know, more higher, I guess, more experienced professional type training? Or is it kind of like, you know, more general where everybody could take it kind of thing? 
Uh, so my team kind of runs the gamut. Traditionally, my team has really created a lot of things. If you're at all familiar with like Microsoft Virtual Academy or Channel 9, those are Microsoft's yeah. traditional channels of, hey, you're probably already a developer, already technical, and you want to learn a new skill set. However, I joined the team and I was like, CS for all, let's do this. So my courses are all aimed at introductory level. Like you are not a technical person. How do you become a technical person? And how long have you been doing this for? About a year. What has been the most rewarding or or maybe just an example of one of the most rewarding moments for you and your students? Well, one, I I, I have to admit, I'm very new to the social media world. Like I had a I had a Facebook, but didn't really touch it. And then I joined this team. And on this team, the idea that you're engaging with your students digitally is really important. And so, you know, now I have social media and I'm always amazed at individuals that I get to connect with that are so far away you know, literally just this morning via Instagram direct message, which is apparently a thing people use, you know, a a young man messaged me asking like, hey, what language should I really focus on? And I was like, yeah, let's talk about this. (laughs) Like, I hope you like all those dog pictures I post. But yeah, let's talk about like, you know, the benefits of Java versus C sharp. And, you know, I, I believe that he's from Pakistan originally. And I was like, how cool, I would never encounter you, you know, otherwise. And so I I love that aspect of my job. I think that's really cool. But I I think more specifically, last year, I got the opportunity to go to uh, East Africa and kind of go on a little bit of a teaching tour. And I... I've always just been desperate to go to East Africa. And it was so exciting. And I got to go teach, I call them technopreneurship skills. You know, how do you Mm. build a business and do so with software? And I got to talk about, you know, I I specifically tried to, you know, think about it from the context of, you know, what, what does your community need? What can you provide? You know, like, how can we look at examples? You know, we talk about things like M-Pesa and we talk about, you know, all these, you know, different communication apps via SMS and like all these just incredible things that are coming out of, you know, places like Kenya and how much that's impacting their communities and how easy it is for them to access that skill set. And it's so, you know, foreign to them because like for us here, you know, we're sort of surrounded by these big software companies and there's a very clear path how you go from like being a college student to that big software company, but there's not those big software companies there. So how do you go from being a, you know, student to being a software developer is a lot more self-driven. And so doing that sort of entrepreneurship stuff was really exciting. I specifically got to go to a nonprofit called Nairobits, uh, which is a Malala Fund grantee, and they have opened up web development boot camps, specifically in the informal settlements, you know, because when they were thinking about how do you help elevate youth economically, what skill set is the cheapest to teach, the fastest to turn around as far as, you know, profitability, and provides a level of equality within the genders. And they determined that that was web development. And it was so awesome to go and see these students using our, you know, using our courses and learning how to turn themselves into entrepreneurs. I think it's interesting, like very small things, you know, really excite me. Mm-hmm. And as a teacher, like something like, you know, my t- my students would be, you know, already graduated, the class is done. And then, you know, I'll run into them at, you know, a meetup or at code camp or some conference somewhere or something like that. And then they're so excited for me to, to meet their family members. Oh, and nice. I never, I never, you know, like it's, it's after the moment passes and you kind of, you know, you sit back and you think about what happened, you know, you realize like you've had such a positive impact on, on people's lives that they're like, I want you to meet my children, right? And I want you to meet my, yeah. my, my wife or my mom or whatever. And I don't know, it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's a really meaningful moment for me. You know what I mean? And I mean, obviously I'm glad that they're still learning. I'm glad that they're still um, trying to build stuff, try to explore new things. But, you know, I think when it becomes personal like that and you realize the positive effect that you have on, on people. And for you, you again, you really don't think about it, right? Like you're, you know, yeah, I'm, yeah. you're teaching a class, right? And you're enjoying it and you're having a good time and we're telling jokes and we're solving problems. And, mm-hmm. you know, after that, you know, when somebody's loved one comes to you and they tell you thank you, mm-hmm. it's just like, wow. Oh, yeah. Like, like that is like such a powerful, mo- at least for me anyway, like that's such a powerful moment. For me, that's enough to me for me to justify continuing to do it. Oh yeah, and I'm—I have to admit, I'm a huge softie. So like, I, well, so I, I specifically, especially with my high school students, I teach it 
I teach at a school that, you know, would be considered low opportunity. And I, I teach AP computer science and those kids are super, superstars. But I, I also teach intro to computer science. And it is right now where all the counselors put the students who are not on track to graduate because it's an elective class. And yeah. I typically grade on, you know, effort and things like that. And so I get students in my class and it it's sort of we can talk about the public school system for forever. But, you know, one of the things <laughs> that breaks my heart is. My heart is, you know, I get my list of students and literally like right next to their name, not before their student ID number or before their like class schedule or their grade level. I get the little markers of, you know, is the student special education? Is the student behaviorally challenged? Is the student, you know, English language learner? Like their their category of student is almost synonymous with their name. And it just sort of look at that. And I think about how that must impact the adults that interact with them. And I, I was teaching intro to computer science one semester and I was like, we're doing Java. This is what's happening because you guys are all going to take the AP test next year and I am not taking no for an answer. And I had a young man who had very low grades in all of his other courses and a lot of absences. And he like just wasn't paying attention, you know, like messing around on the computer, picking lint off the ground, things like that. And so I, you know asked him, I was like, well, what would you build if you could build anything? And he was like, oh, I'm pretty into video games. So I was like, great. I don't know any, truly, I don't know anything about Unity. And I would love to know, can you teach me? And that's all he did for an entire semester. And we literally, like the first day he was, we're going to say not very polite, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but now I still see him and he, he will never say thank you. He's not that kind of kid, but just the fact that I see him coming back to class and I see him showing up and I see him doing his work is just enough for me to melt. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to get on my bus ride. And the best was I happened to sit him next to um a young lady who had just arrived at our school from Vietnam. My school is very heavily um, Vietnamese. And they happen to have the same name, <laughs> like the same exact name. And so um, I will call them, um, we'll call them fan. <laughs> so I had like boy fan and girl fan. And girl fan, like we day one, we started with like, what is a right click? What is a left click? Like, what is a folder? You know, she'd never really used a computer on her own. And I remember the day that boy fan sort of leaned over and helped her with her work. And I was like, yes, that's it. I've accomplished it. <laughs> like, I'm going to keep that moment forever. And so I still see girl fan around the school and the amazing thing is people I know people write her off like her English is so fresh to her and people do mm -hmm. not take the time to listen to her and they do not take the time to you know really understand what she's saying because it takes time and yeah. by the end of my class she was writing 2D arrays and so I was like you know you do nice. you girl fan <laughs> right that's awesome yeah yeah again it's, it's, it's always those little things man that that you know, it not only just makes a difference for you, but it makes a difference to the students too, right? Because when you think about it, I know I have tons of friends that might have started in, you know, degree X, whatever it happens to be, it doesn't matter. You know, a particular teacher, just one teacher would completely make them change their major. Isn't that amazing? One teacher. I swear, I, somebody needs to do a research study. How many people choose their major based on the quality of high school teacher in that subject? <laughs> like I no, want that it's, data. It's it's crazy, you know. Yeah. Um, even in the college level too. I mean, yeah. you know, you you run into the, the wrong teacher, or let me not say the wrong teacher, but you have a, a bad experience with a particular teacher, and it's like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing this. I'm not messing with this anymore. I'm going to do, you know, something different. Um, oh yeah. Just literally this morning, I was getting coffee with my best friend and I was talking about how we were doing like CSS for the first time in intro. And she was like, oh, I hated CSS in school. And I was like, what? You have two engineering degrees in embedded power systems and security. You can't handle CSS. What on earth are you talking about? And she was like, oh, yeah. well, I guess when I think about it, my TA was really mean to me that quarter. And I was like, you're an adult now. What is happening? Those things carry forward, man. That's because she's human. Nobody human likes CSS. I mean, that's just... <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe if you take Casey Champion's introduction to CSS course on edX, you'd feel different. Oh, 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 there we go. Oh, oh, oh. But then maybe <laughs> not. <laughs> uh, I think as even as instructors, like we just have to be very careful, right? That we give the right message. Because you know? again, like, I mean, everybody's not going to like you as a teacher. Oh yeah, um, for sure. But at the same, <laughs> but at the same time too, you you don't want to turn them off from thinking this is something cool and interesting. Like you don't want to out the fire, right? And so it's 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 an interesting balance that we all have to play to kind of just make sure that we we give them the information in the right way, I suppose. Oh yeah, 
I, I have to admit I cheat because I, I as a, somebody that constantly partner teaches, I sort of get to be more of myself because I don't have to be as many things to as many kids. And yeah. I am just, you know, we're, we're in this tech industry and we have all learned, I believe, to embrace our inner goober, you know, like <laughs> right. I, yeah, hey, guess what? You know, growing up, I was really, really embarrassingly into anime. Like that's something I would have never admitted, right, in high school. And But then in the tech industry, everyone's like, oh, yeah, me too. Yeah, that's the thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Also, do you have a really emotional connection with Jean-Luc Picard? Yeah, me for sure. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> like, <laughs> he, that's my understanding of masculinity. Um, and so when I get to the high school space, it's so funny because I remember what it's like to try and fit yourself in that high school box. And the moment you try to do that for your students, you lose them. And you just yeah. have to accept that some students are not going to be into that. Some students are not going to be into the fact that you think computer science is the most exciting thing ever at 745 in the morning and that you make stupid jokes and that you, you know, think these things are exciting, but maybe you're not that into video games. Like that's just not going to be what helps students connect. But I think as long as you're authentic, that it's hard, it's hard to at least develop a good working relationship with someone that's at least authentic. For for people that might be interested in your courses and what you're doing, and maybe even they just want to reach out for you for some advice about education and you know different approaches like what's some of the ways that people can get in contact with you and and can i just you know stay connected absolutely um so i am on all the social medias now um probably the facebook best. pinterest twitter instagram oh, yeah, etc 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 et i even yeah. have the snapchat which oh, i rarely please. use but it's a thing that i am told I is important i'll be um, honest with you i don't get snapchat like i have oh no my god i don't get snapchat thank you yeah i don't get it <sighs> The I honestly don't even know what it does. As far as I know, you take pictures like Instagram or you post them like Instagram. I, I, I swear to God. But they disappear or something like that? or yeah. Theoretically, I don't know. Who believes that, right? Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. yeah mostly know. there's also filters that are somehow funny, but some of them are not funny and some of them are funny. I don't know what's funny and not funny. Yeah. Also, you send stuff directly to people and some things you post on your stories. and I don't know. It's very confusing. Um, but yeah, probably the best for me is Twitter instagram and medium i blog a lot so always happy to okay. connect with people that way we'd like to thank casey for being a guest on the show it was great to have the opportunity to chat with her if you like the show please tell your friends and leave a comment on the website at awayfromthekeyboard.com also remember to check us out on our facebook page at facebook.com slash aftk podcast and on twitter at aftk podcast you can follow me on twitter at Cecil Phillip and Richie at Jarris. That's J-O-R-R-I-S-S. You can subscribe to the show via the website, SoundCloud, Google Play Music, or on iTunes. And if you really want to know what makes us tick, sign up to the newsletter where you get extra episodes and behind-scenes access to Away From the Keyboard. Next on Away From the Keyboard, we'll be speaking to database consultant and podcaster, Carlos Chacon. I actually started refing first with football. And... Um, you know, I enjoyed the game of football. I wanted to do football. Way too many rules. I mean, the rule book is like 10 inches thick. And then the, the worst part of it, particularly at the high school level, is that you get in there and the people who are training you, they're like, oh, we had this game. They give you the scenario and this is what we called and this is what we did. And then another ref is like, well, that's wrong. We need to figure that out. Uh, soccer is much simpler from a rules perspective. Uh, I mean, the, the hand, the, the rule book is literally like 10 pages long. Carl's a super great guy. Um, I've been on this podcast actually a couple of times. And um, really, very cool. Yeah, love the conversation. Come back next week. Nice. Bye. We want to thank you for listening to Away from the Keyboard. As a reminder, we will have new episodes each and every week. You can interact with us on Twitter at AFTK Podcast or at awayfromthekeyboard.com. Hasta luego!
I do have so, one final question though. Shoot. Okay. So how many things haven't you done? <laughs> <laughs> Skydiving, maybe? I have never skydived. I hate falling. Ah, oh, I found um, one. Yeah, I know. That's true. I was really looking for a million things you haven't done. Oh. Just you wait. Just you wait. Oh, man, we missed that one. You know what? Darn that it. was like a really sad miss the ball, you're right? Yeah. Oh, such a downer. <laughs> we'll I have to, yeah, it's also shameful because I have to admit, I've listened to that soundtrack so much. It's so bad. That rec- original Broadway recording, like it is, it, I've almost listened to it as much as the Lemonade album. And that is an important, that's an incredible thing to say. So, wow. <laughs> yeah, it is almost at Beyonce level, which is really unhealthy. Wow. Obviously, my crazy. shot is my favorite for real. <laughs> <laughs> really so, so connects with me as an upper middle class white girl. So, what's your opinion on the uh, the remix album? I've listened to it. I appreciate everything the Roots do. <laughs> I don't appreciate Kelly Clarkson that much. I don't know. Um, oh, Lady Clarkson has a song on it. I haven't heard that one. She does. It's Quiet Uptown. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yes. Yeah, right. Does. Yeah. yeah. Because that, God, that song is so heart wrenchingly sad. It's about burying your child. Like. Sorry, Kelly Clarkson, you just didn't, you missed the boat with me. Um, really? Because oh, I, no, I, no, I, I, I'm going to disagree do, with you, but okay. Okay, it's fine, okay. fine. Disagree. I will say that I think the Ja Rule Ashanti version of Helpless is like hilarious because I saw an interview with Lin-Manuel and he was like, yeah, I wrote that thinking about them. And then I was like, oh yeah, there's that line where she's like, doesn't she say that boy is mine at some point in the song? And I was like, yeah. This is, this well, is, no, he kind of he does Ja Rule. Yes. Like as long as I'm alive. Yeah, exactly. That's funny. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's an awesome soundtrack, man. That's 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 only one of my, one of my favorites. Yeah. Well, it took you long it's enough to listen to it. Dude, I, I listened to it before you did. The difference is I heard one song and you listened to the whole album on repeat for like weeks. It's <laughs> long. <laughs> It was months, son, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, see? Yeah, you just, you put that sucker on repeat and the whole family was singing in chorus. Well, it, 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 the kids don't help. Yeah. That's oh, the only thing they yeah, ask yeah. Alexa for is the Hamilton soundtrack. That's it. Ah, uh, see, like, whenever, like, my sister and my boyfriend get in the car, I, like, change it. Like, oh, yeah, I was totally listening to um, NPR. Something else. Yeah. I was yeah. listening to new Radiohead. <laughs> yeah. <I swear. laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm so cool and hip with it. But they're such obnoxious Seattle hipsters that they only listen to the shins or whatever. Who knows? There's so much Wilco in my house. It's like out of control. <laughs> oh, my God. That's hilarious. Oh, yeah. The Pixies pre-1990. Ugh. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're only into the like acoustic version of the Pink Floyd album because everything else is too corporate. Like we've had real conversations about how Bob Dylan totally like ruined everything when he went electric. And I was like, you guys weren't alive. You can't. No, not. (laughs) You can't talk about this. You can't. You can't have like deep feelings about that moment in 1968 or whatever. (laughs) <laughs> nice that's hilarious <laughs> oh my god Seattle, i swear it's like it, it, it's like miami it's might as well be a different country it, it's just oh yeah so different than the rest of the country i gotta go to miami i've never been to miami um i the only i have to admit the only understanding that i have of miami and this is gonna sound crazy it comes from a bollywood movie in which they live in miami and i'll tell you what Bollywood's interpretation of what Miami culture is like. Now that is, that's a place Hilarious. I want to live. Imagine. I'm it's pretty great. sure it's pretty spot on. I mean, because at oh, any okay. given time, anyone could be breaking out in some sort of song or dance. That's I mean. exactly what happens. <laughs> it's 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 the gayest Bollywood movie I've ever seen. It's just like a gay explosion of like fabulous like rhinestone like musical numbers, and it's absolutely amazing. That's oh actually South Beach pretty yeah. good. That's okay, cool. it's pretty it's pretty accurate about South Beach. Yeah. Oh, it's got that girl. She's famous in America now. It's got that girl Priyanka Chopra in it. Oh, I you love guys, her. She's yeah, amazing. She's amazing and beautiful. And like most of the movie is her like coming out of the water in like sequin bikinis. 
Whoa, Whoa, I need a name of this thing. (laughs) Yeah, it's called Dostana. It means friendship in Hindi. You're welcome. Yeah, (laughs) shout out to all the other Bollywood fans listening. Am I right? Oh, my God. I know it's getting close to midnight, but this feels like two episodes, Cecil. I, I'm not cutting anything here. Oh, yeah, God. we'll just cut it in half and publish it. Right. <laughs> exactly. We'll take out the, this is the first half and this is the second half. I was like, how are you going to possibly squeeze 10 minutes of intelligent co- like comments out of this? It's like 99% Disney fandom. You this, should just, we'll just, yeah. this is totally our format. <laughs> yeah, this is generally what happens. This is our format, and it—you know—we awesome. wanted to get behind the people, right? And just okay, the intelligence stuff and the coding and the database stuff. Yeah, sure, that's cool. But what do people really like? You know, I mean, yeah. that's 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 what that's what kind of brought us on to do the show, right? I mean, I always that's look back and like, what were those engineers who 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 you know made the rockets to the moon and launched it and did all that stuff? they weren't all numbers all the time, right? I mean, what did they do? Well, how would they like, right? And we're just trying to chronicle that during the information age. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. It's like StoryCorps. I hope you yeah, like exactly. put it in the Library of Congress along with all the other like NPR grandmothers interviewing their granddaughters kind of stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah, that'd be cool. What, what do, what do, what do, yeah, we should do that, Cecil. We'll put it in the Library of Congress. Sure. Yeah. We could do it. Why not, right? Yeah. <laughs> we'll be right next to Mickey Mouse. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's awesome. Awesome. All right, okay. cool. So so Casey, I think we're gonna cut it here. All right. Um, yeah, cool.